0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you here because I know everybody is battling the flu and it uh, seems to be an epidemic. My wife, it has finally hit the whole household. So our little one deacon has had it this week and then Chelsea was down and out all day yesterday. So, um, but thank you for being here and waving the elements. And, um, but, you know, last week we began talking about living by faith. And we talked about identifying what faith really is and and trying to put a meaning behind it and and what all it entails. Um, And so as we unpacked and we wrestled, for lack of better words, what faith meant, what we kind of laid our our hearts into is we realized that, that faith is trusting something we can't see, number one, but we know that faith is what establishes our relationship with Christ. It's what how we are adopted into his family. It's the relationship begins at faith. And then when we understand the relationship that we have with Christ, we understand the sacrifice that he made, then what that should do is it should produce religion. And I know that's a word that that we talked last last week that's kind of got a, a negative context with it now because we don't like to talk about religion. But when we realized last week that religion is regular activities that are built around our beliefs, We understand that religion is not necessarily a bad thing. We should be regularly spending time with God in his word in prayer and fellowship with other believers. But what we also know is that when we are practicing religion, when we are regularly spending time with him in prayer and in reading his word and with other believers, he's gonna direct us to exercise our faith. So we all see that Christianity begins and ends with faith. And so the, with the direction that God has led us for 2020 is, is we saw that last week, the thing that we introduced, that our focus is going to be on groups, going, and giving. This is what 2020 is going to be all about, is groups, going, and giving. And today we're going to start by looking in depth at groups, the importance and the purpose of groups. Next week, we're gonna be looking at going. And and on that note, right quick, I just wanted to share right quick about going, Um, just to let you know, I'm excited to let you know that the first week of March, um, there's a group of men that will be going to Nicaragua to do some construction there. Scott O'Brien is gonna be leading that team. Um, They'll be leaving the first week, or I think the last day of February, going into the first week of March. Um, So we're excited to see that. But then in June, um, we'll be doing another trip to Nepal. Um, this is a trip, that, a trip that I'll actually be going on um, with RU4 and, and our purpose for that trip is we're going to distribute water filters, but also more importantly, distributing the gospel. We'll be going door to door, we'll be training up pastors and, and doing those kind of things and, um, and I'm excited about this trip um, because this is one that, that it holds true to, uh, dear to my heart because this was the first trip that my family served together on. Um, The first or two years ago, we were able to take our three oldest kids, Brock and Andy and Cooper, were all three able to go with us. Um, But as you can tell, that that gets pretty expensive. So now we are we have stepped into a rotation now where they rotate who gets to go. And this year was Andy's year to go. And so Andy was all excited about going, that me and her, and and as heartbreaking as it is, not heartbreaking, that really sounds terrible, but I know that that's going to be the call that God has on my little girl. God's gonna call my little girl to be a missionary. I've truly believed that with everything that's in me and she was so excited about going on this trip but um, we found out this week that, 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 you know you know me, I'm on top of my calendaring, right? I never double book anything. Y'all remember all that, right? I'm good at that. Well, <laughs> did it again. We'll be going to Nepal, well, that is the same week for our kids camp here at Chestnut Mountain. Um, So I'm going to blame that on Dwight and Sue for making us go the first week of June. Um, So I got in the car the other night and I told Andy, I said, honey, I said, I want you to to think about this. I said, I don't think it's going to work out this year for you to go to Nepal. I said, and and immediately she started squalling. And so I'm sitting there going, oh God, how am I going to do this? But then I quickly told her it's kids camp week and all of a sudden she's better. Okay. Well, that's not too bad. So we go home and and I'm I'm letting the boys know. I told the boys, I said, um, guys, I said, Andy's not gonna get to go to Nepal this year because it's the week of kids camp. And so Brock, my oldest son, he gets excited. He said, yes, I get to go. This is my chance to go again. I said, hold on, Brock. I said, "Not, not, not so fast. I said, we've gotta give Cooper the option first. And you remember I gave you a little Cooperism last week. You get another one this week. So I said, Brock, before you get excited, let me ask Cooper if he wants to go. I said, Cooper, you want to go to Nepal? Nope, I'm good. (laughs) So through a lot of time in prayer and fasting, um, I guess the Lord revealed to Cooper's little heart that it's not time for him. He went two years ago and the last day and a half, he had the stomach virus. Um, So he was sick all the way home on the 20 hour plane ride. So I think in his little eight year old mind, he thinks sickness, Nepal, I don't want anything to do with it. So he, he will not be going. Um, But anyway, I say all that to say this next Sunday afternoon, immediately following our second service, we will be meeting in here for all those who are even interested in going to Nepal. Um, Now remember, just because you come to an informational meeting, it doesn't marry you to go, but I would encourage you um, if you don't know what's going on in Nepal through the way of RU4. I would invite you to be a part of that, um, and, and you never know. You may be sitting there going, "No way, I am going to the other side of the world." <laughs> I hope you're saying, "No way," because that's usually when God shows up and says, Eh-eh. "That's what you're going to be doing." So next Sunday afternoon, we'll be meeting in here um, right immediately following the, the second service to give you all the information that you'll need to know about that. Now, understand that when you go. It's not just something that we're going to throw you to the wolves and say, hey, go get on an airplane June 4th. Good luck. We'll see you back here. No, there will be extensive training that leads up to that to prepare you for what you're getting yourself into, um, to give you all the tools that you'll need to be effective um, for the kingdom. So anyway, enough on that spill. But today our focus is going to be on Groups. You know, the thing about it is we've encouraged and prayed and been talking about God stretching us to do no way things, and, and this actually may be an idea that brings no way to your mind, that, you know, no I, I like coming in on Sunday mornings and I like getting out. I don't, I don't really bring um, a lot to the table, so this, this is probably doesn't even apply to me, but, but what I want to share with you this morning is, is, just to put it blunt, groups... Community, it's the heartbeat of God. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, look at, look at God himself. He was three in one. He was a community of three that made up one. You know, so we see all through the Bible references that talk about groups and talking about being a part of something. You know, even go back to creation when he created Adam we know that the first response, and I think it is in chapter 2, verse 18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And we know that this brought upon Eve. What's interesting about that is you realize that, that Eve was created even before the fall. So it's not that Eve was created to rescue, the, to come on the scene as, as the hero, but we see that it's just interesting enough that God saw reason to create more. And we see that God, God's heartbeat is, is a community. It's to do life with other people. And, and, and I love this. Is it, it basically defines God's heart. It's a quote that I found this week. It says, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is. Because he is community, he creates community. It is his gift. As if salvation is not enough, groups, Community is another gift that God gives all of us. So according to God's character, according to his word, he wants you as a follower of Christ, he wants you as a believer to be involved in a small community, in a group. And that may stretch some of us. And I want you to know today that this is, this is not Brian's opinion This is not Brian's efforts and just so that we can start talking about having more people involved in groups or more people involved in Sunday school, whatever terminology is that you wanna use. But the truth is, is I love you enough to tell you, you need each other, you need each other. And so today we're gonna look at the importance of this. And so as the word challenges us today, as the, as the facts from God's word challenges all of us, I would go back three weeks ago and I would encourage you as we move forward in groups, as God begins to stretch us in 2020, the first thing that we gotta do is we've gotta get our butts out of the way. God's gonna give us direction and it may sound good and in our minds, we're going, God, that really sounds good, but then here comes the excuses. God, I like the idea of community. I like the idea of doing life with people, but I just don't have the time. God, I, I, I like my being able to slide in and slide out. So, so the first thing that we've got to do today is we've got to bury all of the excuses in 2020. And you know, you may be even here this morning, you may have tried groups before. Well, I haven't got plugged in this, this group really don't have a, I don't have anything in common with this group. I don't really do this with this group. So, I'm, you know what, I'm just really having a hard time getting plugged in. You know, I love this. that so many times when God allows us to see the need, he gives us the vision. And so maybe God is showing you well, you don't fit here, you don't fit there. Well, is God prompting you to start an environment where other people that are in the same boat that you are may feel connected? And right now you're going, huh, no way, no, I ain't starting nothing. I ain't even gonna partner with anybody to start nothing. So let's just go ahead and see. You're already get them butts out of the way. All right, get your butts out. That's not a New Year's resolution, which I got to start on it tomorrow. You notice I said that last week. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's a new day. But, but, do you hear that? Anyway, sorry. You know, but our first excuse, the easiest excuse that we can all come up with is you can look around the room. You can say, well, Brian, look, I got, you know, I got a few hundred people in here. I don't need a small group. I don't need a group of life to do, people. I don't need a group to do people, to do life with people. I, look, I got plenty around me. Look at Jesus's journey. Everywhere Jesus went, there were hundreds, if not thousands of people, but he chose to do life with 12. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. There's a reason that he did it that way. There's a reason that he set it up that way. But but as we move forward, something very um, powerful happened to me on Monday is I woke up Monday morning and Monday's kind of the day that I begin prep and I do that in my living room at about 445. It gets earlier and earlier the older I get. And so I was sitting in my, my chair at 4.45 on Monday morning, and I began to pray. I said, God, give us the passage. Give us the direction that you want us to go to in reference to groups on Sunday. And, and so I began to pray, and somehow, someway, I stumbled along a passage of in the book of Daniel. And so while I'm sharing this, I want you to kind of go ahead and turn there. But, but understand, we're not really preaching from the context of the book of Daniel. But what I found is when I, when I dove into this book, what we're going to do today is kind of look through three different chapters. We're gonna skim over chapter two, three, and four. And this is a passage that every person in this room, if you've ever attended church for any amount of time, if you've been, been in VBS, if you've been in Sunday school, you've, you've heard this story and I myself was the, the same way. And what God revealed to me on Monday is I've never read this passage through the lenses of groups. And what he made so clear to me Monday as I would go and I would read this passage, I was like, okay, God, I've read it a thousand times, what's here? God, I've read this a thousand times and I would pray again. God, you've got to reveal this to me. God, you got to reveal this to me. And I'd go back and read again. And then all of a sudden, it's just like a light bulb went off. And God said, Brian, here, this is the blueprint and the purpose for groups. This is what it's all about. And so I, I began to read and it's just like a light bulb just continued to go off. And, and so what I want you to do today is I want you to follow along with me as we journey through these three chapters And hear my heart. Again, I've already told you that this is a challenge, not from Brian, but from God's word. But the reason that I'm challenging, the reason I'm bringing this to the table is it's not just to give you something else to do. We all live a busy life. We're all, we all get just caught up in the rat race to where we don't even know where we're going tomorrow tomorrow because it's so busy. So understand, this is not just to give you something else to do. I love you enough to tell you that this is what you need because God designed it. This is very, very important as we journey um, through this life of being followers of Christ. But what we're gonna look at today is in the book of Daniel and it begins, just to kind of give you the overview so you will see where we're going today. But Nebuchadnezzar has attacked Judah and he begins to take in the captives. And, and the four that you're familiar with the most from this passage is, is Daniel and who we know is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're going to hear them referenced as three different names, but we're going to stick to those three because we're all familiar with it. We know those three. Um, but what we see is they come under the captivity and the bondage of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so these four men are living in a very evil, oppressed time. I think we can all relate to that, that we are right where they were. We're in the middle of an evil, oppressed time. And so we're going to need each other. We're going to have to do this life together in order to face the enemy, to overcome the attacks that he's going to have on us. But understand me today that, that, that we're going to look at the blueprint and the outline and the purpose of these four men and what they accomplished together. And so up to this point, Nebuchadnezzar has taken them in captivity and, and we know that he has a dream. And so now he wants this dream interpreted. He wants to know the meaning behind this dream that he's having, and so he calls to to all the people, he calls to all of the people that he did life with. He called the magicians, he called the conjurers, he called the Chaldeans, and he said, look, somebody's gotta tell me what this dream means. We all know that nobody wanted to do that. We don't know if they didn't have the ability or if they didn't wanna do it, but we know that King Nebuchadnezzar became very frustrated because nobody would tell him what his dream meant. And so he set out something in order to basically kill all of the wise men in Babylon because nobody could tell him a dream. And so Daniel kind of catches wind of the attack that the enemy himself, Nebuchadnezzar, is about to do because he wanted this dream interpreted. Nobody could do it. And so now all of a sudden he calls for all of the people to be killed, all of these men to be killed. And you guessed it, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four of those. So not only were they living in the same time that we live in in an evil oppressed time but also we see the enemy's not changed his ways. The enemy wants to kill still and destroy. He wants to kill still and destroy you. He wants to to kill still and destroy your family. He wants to do that to your friends. He is still doing what he was even doing what we're reading about now. And so as Daniel becomes, we don't know if he was overcome with fear. We don't know if, if, we don't know what drove him to go to these three men. But when Daniel got word that their lives were being threatened, that the enemy was about to come after them, I want us to look at what Daniel did. I want us to look at Daniel's response. So look at chapter two. We're going to start in chapter two and we're going to look at verse 17 and 18 to start with. But like I said, we're gonna be skimming over a lot today, but I think you'll, you'll follow along as we, as we kind of dig into this together. But verse 17, when he caught wind, it says, then Daniel went to his house and, he for, and informed his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, which that's those three that we talked about, about the matter. So they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so what we're about to look at is we're about to see the first purpose of a group. We're about to see the first purpose of being involved and doing life with people. So when Daniel understood the threat that was coming, when Daniel recognized that the enemy was attacking, what was his response? The first thing he did was he ran to his safe place. He ran to his home. He ran to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ran to his friends. He ran to the people that he knew cared for him, and he ran to the people, the very people, that he also cared about. And so this was where he went to. He went to his safe place. He went to these men and he knew that he could share this burden with them without judgment. He knew that he could share this, his heart with them. He knew that he could share his concern with them and they wouldn't be pointing fingers and making fun of him and saying, oh, you're such a, you're such a sissy. I can't believe you're scared of that. But he knew that these men loved him. He knew that these men cared about him. And after he ran to them, we see the first purpose of a group. What did they do? Number one, they prayed together. They prayed together. We read in God's word just then that they began to beg God for compassion, for protection, for direction, for deliverance. And so they prayed together together. And if you read this story, if you're familiar with it, what we find out is that God gives Daniel the ability to interpret the dream. So Daniel is able to go back to Nebuchadnezzar and tell him what the dream means. And we know that that Daniel found favor in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. So Daniel was promoted. He was basically made the right hand man of Nebuchadnezzar. And so God went over and beyond, not only did he protect, not only did he deliver, not only did he give Daniel the ability to interpret this prayer, but he got promoted. He got made to be the right hand man. So we've already seen God go ex- do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that they were even asking or imagining. We saw God being God. We saw God promote Daniel. And so we see that there is victory and us praying with each other. There's victory with you praying with the person on your right and the person on your left. But what we also understand is that when we pray together, guess what? The enemy's gonna keep attacking. He's not gonna turn and run. He's not gonna say, oh, they're praying, so I gotta leave them alone. No, a lot of times, the enemy steps it up a notch. And so while, while Daniel's been delivered, now look, I want you to keep in mind this too. We already see what's happening. They prayed that they would all be delivered, that they would all see favor in God's eyes. But what we understand is that Daniel was promoted, but these other threes are still in captivity. So God's not, not God didn't answer it exactly the way that they wanted it. And that's very important to understand, and we're gonna look at that, that when we pray and we ask God for certain things, God's not always gonna do exactly what we as a group, as a united body pray for, because God is God. And we're gonna see how the rest of this story unpacks itself because God didn't answer the way, the prayer the way that they all wanted. And so the enemy turns it up a notch and now we know that he makes a golden idol. And he demands all of the captives of Babylon to bow down to this golden idol. And so we understand, and many of us probably familiar with it, that he tells them that when you hear this plethora of instruments, that at that moment, that is when you are to bow down to this false god. That's when you're to bow down to this. And if you're familiar with the story at all, we know how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded, which brings us to the second purpose of a group. They've prayed together, but now what we're about to read is that they stood together. They stood together in the face of temptation, in the the face of the enemy wanting to cause them to stumble and fall. This group, this small group of men, they stood together facing the enemy. And so, yes, they've been obedient again, They've prayed together, they stood together. So man, you're thinking, okay, they're being obedient. So now shouldn't everything start going smoothly? Shouldn't everything get easier? Uh Uh-uh. The Chaldeans report that back to Nebuchadnezzar and say, look, King, you've got three guys that aren't doing what you've instructed them to do. And so do you think that scared the enemy? Did you think that the enemy left them alone? No, so what did he do? He called for them. He said, okay. He said, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Look with me in verses, or chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. It says this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and he said to them, talking about the three young men, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this moment, You hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery and the bagpipe and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? What's interesting about this is the enemy didn't flee. The enemy didn't leave them alone, but even though they were praying, even though they were standing together, the enemy got closer. The enemy screamed louder. The enemy, for lack of better words, turned up the heat but here's how they respond. And I don't know about you, but this right here is what the heartbeat of today is about. How did these three respond when the enemy got louder, when his threats continued to to get more in your face, when he kept breathing down their neck? How did these three young men respond? Look at verse 16 and 17, and you see their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We, circle or underline the word we, do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our, circle and underline that, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You see the words that they used here. They never said I, they never said me, but it was all about we, our, we, us, us. It was a group together that we're gonna stand together in the face of the attack of the enemy even though the enemy was getting closer. Can you just get that picture? Can you just get that visual? That here's these three young men, they've already gone against what the king has instructed them to do. They're supposed to bow down, they stood together strong, they stood together firmly, so now the enemy gets closer. Now the enemy's in their face and he's saying, okay, look, I'm gonna give you one more shot. One more shot to bow down, to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. I'm gonna tempt you one more time to give in. And how many of us in this room would probably be, and again, we don't read this, but I, my, my mind goes a lot of places a lot of times, and you think, was Abednego standing there right in the middle of Shadrach and Meshach, and was he going, oh, God. Hey, guys, it'd be a whole lot easier right now if we just do what this dude says. We wouldn't have to worry about this. We just give in. We just bow down, and I have a feeling if we'll do that, he'll just leave us alone. How many of you are that guy? Let's just give in. It's a lot more fun over here. It's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot more entertaining to do this, but how many are so thankful that when we were faced with that temptation that we had a Shadrach and a Meshach on one side and one on the other, saying, you know what, Uh uh-uh. No matter what the enemy says, no matter what he does, we're gonna stand together. Even though you want to bow out, even though you want to throw in the towel, even though you're ready to quit, how many times are we thankful that we had a brother or sister on one side or the other that said, ah, look, we're not going to give in. We're going to stand strong. We're going to live by faith that we talked about last week. We're going to live by faith even when it's not popular, even when it's gonna get more difficult. And so we see up to this point, these young men have prayed together. They've stood together. Now you do know that even though we stand together, even though we pray together, that things don't always go smoothly. These are three young men that understood that. And you see that in verse 18. We see how they responded in verse 18. After they've, they've given their proclamation to the king, they said, know what? We're, we know that our God can deliver us. So we're gonna stand together. We're gonna do this thing together. But verse 18, they said, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we, there it is again, are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What I love about that is this is what we see. The picture being painted here is this is a brothers, these are sisters in Christ that are encouraging each other to live by faith. Trusting God even when we don't know the outcome. Trusting God even when we can't see how this whole thing is gonna turn out. Because we all know that those even if moments are the one that really challenges to live by faith. That when God doesn't answer a prayer the way we want him to, this is when we need each other the most. Because we're ready to turn our back on God, we're ready to walk out on God, we're ready to give up on God. But thank God that he puts people in our lives that don't let us do that. Thank God for these small groups that where we are paid attention and people see us and what we're walking through. So not only do they, stand, do they pray together, not only do they stay together, stand together, what you're about to see next is they're about to walk through fire together. They're about to walk through fire together. And you know that, that what King Nebuchadnezzar called, he was so angry at these three young men that he says, hey, I want the furnace turned up seven times hotter. How many of you have got thrown into the fire that you're ready? You've prayed for this fire to go away. You've ready for this temptation to stop. You've ready for this battle to be over. But instead of it getting over, instead of it moving on, it gets harder. It gets hotter. It gets more difficult and the enemy gets louder. But thank God for these groups. So they're about to be thrown into the fire for being obedient And so we see in chapter three, verses 22 and 23, we see that that's what the king calls for. He says, for this reason, because the king's commands were urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who were carried up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace, of a blazing fire still tied up. So to this point, they've prayed together, they've stood together, they've been obedient the entire time and they find themselves in the midst of a fire. They find themselves in the midst of a fire. If you're a part of a group, if you've never been a part of a group, there's times that you have got together collectively as a group and you've, you've prayed together. You've stood together. You've prayed maybe for healing. You've prayed for certain jobs. You've, you've prayed for your, for your kids together and maybe there's times of life that it has not gone the way that you prayed it to go. And you find yourself instead of being delivered from the fire, you're in a hotter fire than you found yourself in to begin with. And it doesn't seem that God's doing anything. It doesn't seem that God is even answering your prayer. But what we can even see here is that those three in the midst of all of that trial, in the midst of all of the turmoil, what did they do? They stayed together. They stayed together. In verse 24 and 25, Here's where it gets good and I might get a little excited, so I apologize in advance. Verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and he stood up in haste and he said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? You see this powerful king who thinks he's got all the answers, who thinks he deserves all the respect. He's looking down in this fiery furnace, probably where he's expecting to see three dead bodies still in bound, still bounded up in chains. And he looks in there and he looks at his guys and he says, wait a minute. Didn't we put three in there? Didn't we put three guys in there? Because last time I counted, we put three guys in the fire together. But then in verse 25, but he he said, look, I see four men loosed. (laughs) Y'all didn't catch that part. Remember, they went in bound up. Now, all of a sudden, he's looking in. He's not only seeing three, he's seeing four, and they're already loosed. They've already been set free. You think, well, how can they be set free? They're in the midst of the fire. There is freedom when God is with us. There's freedom when we are doing life together. Even in the midst of fire, we find peace. We find victory. We find glory, not because of how good we are, but because God promised us that even in the midst of the fire, that he's going to be with us. And because of him being with us, this is what keeps us together. This is why we are victorious. That they looked down and they saw four, and they were loosed walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. You see, even in the midst of the fire, God had not delivered them from the fire yet. It was a matter of fact, it was hotter, it was more difficult. It was more tempting. It was more frustrating. But what God did do is he was their strength. He was their protection. He was their comfort in the middle of the fire. You know, and God revealed something to me this week that that I've shared many times and I'll continue to share it many times, so get over it. But when we went through the season of our oldest son, Brock, you know, not knowing if he was going to make it, not knowing if we were even going to have him anymore, you know, I've shared the story of, of why groups and why family is so important to me, that there was one particular day that there was 21 people in our hospital room, two of which were blood family. One was my mom and one was my wife's mom. The other 19, that was our church family. But you know what God revealed to me as I thought about that? I always talk about 21. I always talk about there was 21 people in that room. But let me tell you right now, that was the most spiritual attack that I know that my family has ever been under. And I know that when the enemy looked in that fiery furnace, when he looked, because remember, he wanted to kill, steal, and destroy us. He wanted it to go his way. But when he looked into that hospital room at Choa in downtown Atlanta, he didn't see 21 people. He saw 22 people. He saw the presence of God wandering around in the room. And guess what? We would have been set free. Because we knew that, no, it may not go the way we want, It may not turn out, our little boy may not be healed, but God, we're gonna trust you anyway. And the only way that I can find the strength to trust you anyway is because of these other people that are in this room. That is the only way that I'll be able to trust you in the middle of this fire. So there is no doubt in my mind as that enemy opened our little hospital door Guaranteed Turned around and looked at all them little demons he had behind him and he said I thought there was only three in this room Well now there's like 20 a little while ago there was only 21 in here Why is there 22? And I laugh in his face because the presence of God was with us in the midst of the fire And then we see then we see how the story goes Then we see how the story goes. Look at verses 26 and 27. Actually, we'll start about halfway through 26. It says, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego died. It ended. (laughs) No, that ain't at all what it says. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. They came out. They lived to talk about the fire. They lived to talk about the storm of life. They lived to talk about the time the enemy tried to kill, steal, and destroy them, but they came out. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the kings, the high officials, they gathered around and they saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies. Of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged. Side note, thank God their underwear wasn't burned up. (laughs) Their trousers were not damaged, nor had the smell of the fire even come upon them. You know, from an outwardly perspective, what the enemy saw on the outside, he said, look, how in the world did that happen? That fire hadn't affected them. And from an outside perspective to them, it may not look like the fire had affected them. But the one thing that I can promise you is that fire had an impact on them that changed their rest of their life. Because there was an internal change There was an internal bond that was created in this small group. There was an internal trust that was created in the midst of this fire, one with another, but there was also a trust now that as they grew close together, they also trusted God like they had never trusted God before. So on the outside, it may not look like anything had changed, but can I tell you on their heart, everything had changed. Everything changed because they came out of the fire. They came out of the fire. And so we see up to this point, they've prayed together. They've stood together. They've walked through fire together. And number four, they came out of the fire together. They came out of the fire together. But, you know, not only did it impact that group, and not only did it impact Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but in chapter four, verse three, listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. How great are the signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Not only did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego feel and see the effects of God, but also Nebuchadnezzar saw an invisible God become visible because of their faithfulness. And so here's my heartbeat behind this today behind moving forward in 2020 with groups and wanting you to understand the importance, not from Brian's opinion, but according to the word of God is not only will groups change your life, but it will change the life of the people outside because they will see you come out of the fire that in their mind, in a lost world's mind, you should have never survived. But somehow when you come out of the fire changed for eternity, they will say, how did you survive that? How did you make it through that? And yes, we'll give glory to God, but we're also gonna give glory to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that brother and sister in Christ who walked through that fire with us. So it will also impact a lost and a dying world. You know, there was a, we were on the tail end of our hospital stay and God had pretty much, pretty much already healed our son and did what only God can do in his little life. And, and I remember we were in the cafeteria one night and, and a nurse awkwardly walked by us trying to figure out who we were. And how many of you often do that? You awkwardly walk by somebody and you try to get in a better position so you can literally just stare at them and try to figure out who they are. That's what she did. So she was trying to get in that cafeteria and she was looking at us and she was looking at us and all of a sudden she walks by her table and it was me and my wife and Brock sitting there and, and she said, are you the Hall family? I was like, oh gosh, what have we done? And my first, Brock's torn up something, he's messed something up. And immediately when I said, yes ma'am, we are, she broke into tears. And she said, now remember, We're standing, we came out of the fire. We're stronger because of the fire. I now have a love for my wife and my son that I've never understood before. I now have a bigger trust for God. I'm now trusting him more than I ever have before. I now trust my church family more than I ever have before. So it's impacted me. It's impacted my family. But this nurse, she said, I want you to know that that your family has impacted an entire hospital floor. I said, do what? And she said, with every shift change, we would all meet in the nursing station and give assignments. And she said, and that is where the arguments began. She said, every nurse on the floor wanted to be in your room. Because said that every nurse would come back to the station and they would be in tears and they said, there's something different about that room. There's something different about that room. There's there's a peace that we don't understand. There's a joy that we don't understand. There's something going on in there. And what you have to see is through all of that, through the fire of this family being drawn together, as we came out of the fire, it not only impacted our family, but it impacted all the ones who were watching. Amen. So, church, that is my heart. Yes, I want groups to transform the face of Chestnut Mountain. I want it to help us to create a community like you've never been a part of before. I love you enough to tell you that, but I also love a lost and a dying world enough too that I want the groups that are in this church to affect the groups that are outside this church. And so please understand it. that I want these groups to make an invisible God visible to a lost and a dying world. I'm not giving you something else to do, but if you've not been through a fire where you've needed other people, I got bad news. It's coming. There's a fire coming. But what you've got to do is, not according to Brian's opinion, but according to the heartbeat of God, is you've got to find a group of people to do life with. And you're thinking, man, no way. I haven't connected, I don't really know anybody. I would begin to ask you to, I'm not gonna ask you to pray about being in a group. (laughs) Ain't no reason to pray about that. He's already given us the instruction of that. But what I will ask you to pray about is which one, what does that look like? And what is your role in that? Maybe God wants to give you a platform to be the catalyst of of starting a new group so that people that are in the same boat that you are can find something in common to connect with. Now look, I want you to understand, I'm not asking anything of you that I'm not challenged our staff with. I've challenged our staff that, that we're either gonna lead a group or we're all gonna be a part of a group. There's a lot of you in here that serve. You say, well, Brian, I can't be in a group because I serve every week. I'm so spiritual. I'm serving all the time. Well, can I tell you, you pour out long enough, guess what's gonna happen? You are gonna run out. And you're gonna have to have a group that's gonna pour into you. And you say, well, how's that gonna happen on Sunday mornings? You know, we only got nine and 10.30. Ha, we're changing that. We're still gonna be doing nine and 10.30 but there's gonna be groups that are gonna be taking place off campus to meet you where you're at. And what's encouraging too, you think, well, I, here's another excuse. I, I've got babies. <laughs> I can't do it. I need childcare, so that's my good one. I can get out. You know what's cool? Is I sent out an email to about nine families that either serve or don't have a group. We all have kids and a lot of them. But you know what I already saw happening? They began to work together and say, you know what? I can send my teenager or we can keep him downstairs in our house or we can... and what we begin to watch is this community of believers come together to work together, to create an environment where they can grow together. We didn't even provide childcare. It worked itself out on its own. And so what I wanna encourage you to do this morning is is begin and ask God, what does it look like for me? And next Sunday, we will be doing, out in the lobby, out in the, in the foyer, we'll be doing sign-ups for groups so that you can be contacted, so that you can be connected. And look, I'll go ahead and tell you, you're not necessarily gonna like the first one you go to. You're gonna get in there and you're gonna go, I don't like that dude over there. Work it out, try to work it out. If it don't work out, Go find another group. Don't throw in the towel after one. Because the enemy will use, well, I don't connect with that one group. as an excuse. And it'll leave you an opportunity to tuck tail and run. You keep moving. If God's brought you here, God's going to plug you where he wants you. Trust him with that. Remember? Mustard seed faith. You just take that little bitty step and God will show you how big he is and so this morning you know I know there's really no response per se there's nothing to really pray about because God's already given us the instruction and so God kind of led us in this direction the first service many of you in this room you've walked through a fire whether it be a death, whether it be a sickness, whether it be a job change. And and you can look around the room right now and you can identify those people that walked with you through that fire, that was there to not let you fall, that was there to hold you up when you got tired. And so maybe we take this response time that if that's you, you, you came out of the fire How about you walk across this room and go thank that person for staying with you in the fire? Just a simple neck hug, a simple thank you that, you know, I was in the fire and I wanted to give up, but you didn't leave me. You didn't leave me. And so maybe that's what this response time looks like this morning. Maybe it's you go and you thank that person that's in this room that walked through the fire with you. Maybe they're not here. Maybe you pick up your phone, you send them a text and say thank you for never leaving me in the fire.